0: Welcome to Sacred Justice, a podcast that features discourse rooted in the pursuit of justice as sacred practice. Our weekly discussions reflect on current events, art, media, theology, and how they intersect with the movements for freedom and liberation. We hope that through these conversations, we can foster inclusivity by expanding our learning opportunities. We hope to cultivate digital community beyond the confines of our campus. And we hope to reconnect the church's social and spiritual callings. Join us for the journey. hello everybody welcome back to sacred justice we are wrapping up our pride month series usually during the month of august which is charlotte pride which is kind of strange if you're used to being in june it's august here um we try to talk about issues that um, relate to or empower our friends and siblings and neighbors who identify as lgbtqia and beyond and so this is our third year of doing some sort of um series podcast series or special podcast around this topic and today we have a special guest well <laughs> <laughs> um i mean tara has been on the podcast before back in the beginning but of this particular podcast but we have reverend tara Gibbs with us today
1: Woo! yes thank you for having me back again
0: Yes, for those of you who don't know, Reverend Tara is our Minister for Youth in College. And so I always love having conversation with her about all kinds of topics. Uh, But excited to have her today. But before we jump into this week's episode, I want to do a little recap from last week. Uh, Reverend Dr. Ben Boswell and I, DJ Hairless, we call him. We, we talked a little bit about a bunch of array of topics. I mean, just kind of sitting with everything that's happening in the world from what's going on in Afghanistan, to what's happening in Haiti, to what's happening right here on our own soil. So that episode was kind of a hodgepodge of what I call joys and concerns. <laughs> yep. um, and it all relates to our faith. But we also did dive a little bit into some of the media representations Um, given to or of LGBTQIA people. And we really wanted to empower people to watch and listen to things that were heartwarming and encourage joy. Not that, you know, pain or not learning about what some of the more painful moments have been in that particular history isn't helpful, but we are particularly reflecting on that Netflix documentary called Pray Away. That kind of goes through people who are ex uh, who have come out of the um, conversion therapy movement. And that was a very difficult documentary to watch, even for me, because it's just so infuriating. And so I don't necessarily recommend it, <laughs> but I think if you want to be educated a little bit on what was happening particularly in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s around that movement and that it's still happening today. Feel free to watch it if you can in doses, but I also want to encourage people to watch things that make them feel good, watch things that have joy. And I just finished post season three, Tara. And yeah. <laughs> uh, did, you, did you watch it yet?
1: I'm, I'm way behind, I'm way behind. behind. It's fine,
0: it's fine. I won't say anything, but I will- Thank you. For <laughs> final season and they really tried hard to give characters closure and closure Mm. doesn't mean everybody you know wins a million dollars and lives happily ever after but there was a sense of joy like leaving the series right that there was that people are moving forward with their lives in the best ways they knew how and being successful despite the trials and tribulations and so i want people to try to watch things that at least have joy in it which i can't necessarily say pray away has that but (laughs) (laughs) anyway um tara welcome to our show uh, today thank you. thank
1: you so much it's an honored and privileged to be here we always have such rich conversations and i mean i walk away learning a lot so I'm, I'm excited to be here
0: yes how has your week been so far you know what my weekend was
1: amazing um i shared with you i think a little earlier that um a group of friends and i uh, i'm a geek self-proclaimed geek and we just had a, a geek-tastic weekend Full of all the geeky things we enjoy from anime to video games to cosplay to just arts and crafts. We we found ways to bring some joy into our lives amidst all that's happening right now, basically.
0: Yes, yes. It's so important. It's necessary to cultivate joy. Find something that makes you come alive. Yes. In a world that is trying to kill people, that is killing people. Ain't that right? Yeah. So uh, we're going to jump into some current events. I know you have a list of things. So why don't you get started and uh, you know, I'll plug in when I can.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've already um, tapped in a few things. And as I was sharing, so this weekend, I, I spent some intentional time cultivating that joy with an awesome group of friends. And in some ways, I realized that t- to really cultivate that joy, I had to unplug from some news media outlets, just take a step back from Twitter, from TikTok, from the barrage of information that is constantly coming towards us. And so once I kind of came out of that cocoon of peace (laughs) and joy for the weekend, I I was hit with, okay, the earthquake in Haiti, Um, just really unfortunate, um, knowing that the history of Haiti um, very recently and so much tragedy that has befallen the people of Haiti in the last just uh, under a decade um, was really uh, tragic and, and heartfelt, um, to hearing about the Taliban takeover in Afghanistan um, and the number of people who are still unable to flee to safety. Um, very, very concerning. Again, an issue that has been boiling over for years, um, coming to a head in such a way, um, and to maybe uh, what could be considered a, a lighter note Um, Earlier this month, of course, the passing of the local Charlotte ordinance, uh, uh, the non-discrimination policy here. So, so much going on. And of course, always or seemingly always in the background is COVID-19, which the Delta variant (laughs) is causing uh, uh, a lot of concern, um, changing uh, even here in Charlotte recently, um, uh, instituting that indoor mask mandate. Um, it's, It's a lot. There is a lot going on right now.
0: Yeah, it is. And you we were mentioning um, this this n- non discrimination ordinance. We had Bethany Corrigan on a few weeks ago, and they were talking about at the at the time it hadn't passed yet. So they were asking for signatures for petitions. So now it's passed. But I, just for those of you who haven't been keeping up, this is like this is monumental. Tara, you want to say a little bit more about why this is significant?
1: Sure. Particularly, okay. Well, and let me start in the macro, the the bigger picture, of course, is that we are very aware, at least we are, and I hope others are too, um, that particularly for LGBTQIA persons, um, that uh, (laughs) equality is still a ways away. (laughs) There is still uh, active, very active, not passive, but active discrimination practices that take place all across our country. Um, And so I appreciate Charlotte at least bringing it back to the conversation, the city council here, uh, because um, those who may not be uh, local in Charlotte or in other places, uh, I'm sure have heard of the quote, bathroom bill issue from here many years ago, right? Um, That was another attempt at trying to ensure uh, non-discrimination here in Charlotte. But of course, it was uh, co-opted and labeled this bathroom bill thing um, and got some national attention in all the wrong ways. Uh, taking away from the true uh, meaning of trying to ensure that the most marginalized people among us have the guaranteed rights. And what's always fascinating to me, Mia, is that one of the common uh, quote pushbacks to these kinds of, of ordinances or even laws or things that we try to pass in society is that, well, why do we, the pushback is, why do we need this? You know, we know it's wrong. You don't discriminate. You don't. Why do we need this in law? Why do we need this written down? And it reminds me of the case I was trying to make a few weeks ago in my sermon um, that was titled um, Make the Call. Like we have to be clear about these things. Again, this in a world where this discrimination is still very active, where personally, I'm sure you have um, no people to me and myself, no people who have faced discrimination, abuse, violence, um, whether it's uh, physical violence or just the violence of society from Um, people who are without housing or without the access to healthcare that they need. We have to be very clear um, Christian and non-Christian to make the call and say, this will not be tolerated. Right. And that we are looking out for the most oppressed and marginalized among us. So I applaud the uh, Charlotte city council for um, not letting this issue go so easily Mm -hmm. and hopefully praying that our city ordinance Will become that goes into effect October first, I believe. Uh, will set the example that, that we need to make sure the protections are in place at the federal level because that's been the big fight.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that that got passed, and it you know it's always baby steps in in directions. And I was talking to my mentor last weekend, and he was saying we have to celebrate the small things because if we always are just kind of do it, going toward the big goal, we're gonna be overwhelmed mm-hmm. it's going to lead to depressive you know episodes it's going to be lead to anxiety but when we can celebrate the little small steps this this non-discriminatory discrimination um, ordinance is a small step in the right direction so mm-hmm. i'm happy for that here in charlotte it's, it's long overdue so my uh current event is a, a little uh Funny to me, but not really. Um, the FAA proposes more than five hundred thousand dollars in new fines against unruly airline passengers. Now, for those of you who've been following the news over the past couple of weeks, there have been a lot of <laughs> issues happening mid-air, And I've been I, I guess I've flown a couple of times this year. I flew May, June and July. And there was just this element of anxiety, like, I hope don't nobody cut up on this flight.
1: Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to be the one, like, please, just
0: please, not. Just, everybody, not. Act, everybody act right, wear your mask, don't. But people have been acting up. I mean, I just saw a video from an airport a couple of days ago. I think people were fighting because the flight was delayed. Then there's there was this story last week or two weeks ago where they had to duct tape a person to the seat in a, on an airplane because they were threatening to harm a flight attendant or something. Wow, wow. It, I mean, it's just got out of hand. And so now there's people saying they should stop selling alcohol on these flights, that some of these mm-hmm. things are induced by people's consumption. Um, I, I don't know. I also just think that we are in a place right now in our country, in our world, but particularly our country where um, I heard somebody refer to it as a mass psychosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a mental, we, we are as a as a nation suffering a mental illness, as a collective nation, not individually, though people are and always have. But um, there's this, this thing that's happening and COVID just kind of exacerbated it, right? People are coming out of this, although we're not out of it really. We're actually going back in deeper. But people are coming out of the past year and a half just... Like their minds are, are, people are not well. Yeah. The yes. people are not well. <laughs>
1: yeah. it's, it's really unfortunate. I, um, I'm newer to that term, that mass psychosis being applied to now, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, in so many ways, we are see, p- seeing people, I believe, react um, to so much of pressures and traumas and things that are happening. And similar um, to, to children, right? To those who are maybe not fully uh, mentally developed. What other way do you know to deal than by quote acting out right and it's so unfortunate because it does cause pose a threat and a danger to others around and it really makes you realize how little um access to adequate uh, mental health care we have here too the discussions that we're not having in some ways we do have the smaller victories it's getting better but so many of us i think has have yet to take advantage of talking to a therapist having a small group talking these things out um oh, having nice. a safe place to express um, maybe what, what can be considered a, a malaise or any just kind of the negative feelings, a safe place to just get it all out so it doesn't result in this boiling over and acting out on a plane, which is not an excuse. Let me be clear. Yeah, <laughs> I can't help but be reminded of how my mama and grandmama taught me too. You know, you need to act like you got
0: some sense. Yeah. <laughs> don't be don't embarrassing family. us in public. That's what. Don't <laughs> shame <laughs> the family,
1: which as a kid, I was like, what?
0: What, what do you mean
1: shame the family? I get it now. Yeah. You don't shame the family. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. There, there's something about even the way this has shown up, I feel like in church life and not just Mm -hmm. my Baptist, but in from what I hear from colleagues and friends, um, you know, people have really uh, been isolated and they have been, and they have not been as attentive to how COVID has affected them mentally or emotionally as we might want them to be i know i have a therapist and i go regularly i mean my girl she, you know she, she she gets me together mm-hmm. there's something about having um not just having a small group or a yes circle but there's something about having somebody to talk to who is removed yes from uh, your direct situation that is very key in dealing with whatever it is that you're dealing with right so if you're just going to go to the same people who are going to empower your negative behaviors or your rude behaviors or you're acting out then that's not really helpful mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. but yeah. i think you're right we definitely have seen this in in churches and again beyond just myers park baptist but i think for those who maybe regularly attend church or see the church as some kind of place of comfort with so much going on, quote, outside of the church, they don't know which way to direct that frustration. And as, um, you know, people in leadership in a church, it comes to us a yeah. lot <laughs> yeah. and there's no other way that they see at least to relieve that anger. So it becomes an anger and a frustration in the church, finding that one thing to nitpick about at the church or, you know, just all kinds of backlash against particular sermons and things that normally, you know, may not have riled them up in such a way, but they don't have anything else to do and they don't have anywhere else to turn. A lot of other places probably wouldn't tolerate it, <laughs> but the church is, is trying to build, you know, a beloved community. So there may be a little bit more patience at the church level than some other places. Maybe someone's workplace where they're, they, they will act right at the yeah. workplace, but then come Sunday morning, here it is. I'm right. ready to give it to you.
0: <laughs> yeah, Absolutely so I, you know, I, I do, I am thinking deeply about that. And I, I recommend for those of you who are, um, are YouTube people to type in mass psychosis. There was a video done. I'm going to try to find it while I'm, I'm telling you about it. But it's so powerful to watch how it was done mm-hmm. by the Academy of Ideas. So you type in mass psychosis by the Academy of Ideas, and it's how an entire population becomes mentally ill. And it is so poignant. And I recommend people just to sit with it. I mean, they're calling out things like our addiction to our phones and how media is controlling us. And and so it's, it's, you know, go watch it.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, I definitely will.
0: Yes. So today we're jumping in. We're jumping into our closing conversation about helpful resources to think theologically or spiritually, or even just culturally about LGBTQIA issues, issues that affect that community in particular, but who that affect all of us, because this is, we're intersectional people, intersectional beings. And so uh, two years ago when Reverend Ben and I sat down, we talked about uh, three books in particular, Rainbow Theology by Patrick Chang. We talked about Queer Theology by Lynn Tomstead. And we talked about, Our Lives Matter, A Womanist Theology, Womanist Queer Theology by Pamela Lotzi. I think that's the title. Um, And it was a fruitful conversation. And so I asked Reverend Tars, you know, do you have anything in addition to that, that you would like to share things that you have read or media, anything that can help people who are journeying with their journeying with through knowledge, wanting to know more, but also people who might be journeying through gender identity, you know, gender expression, trying to figure out who they are and wanting resources to help them out.
1: Sure. No, and I think it's very much needed. Um, I'm so grateful that we're at a place now that we're having the conversations a little bit more openly. Um, but now is the time, I, as an educator at my heart, I'm always about, um, and a lifelong learner, you know, self, self-proclaimed, <laughs> um, I'm always about what What else can I get? What else can I learn? How can I do better? Right. And I, I believe a big portion of that comes from knowledge and resources so i'm glad we're having this conversation and building upon these already excellent resources um, that were shared in a previous um discussion so i always kind of start with okay what helped me right it's one thing to just jump to the latest best-selling academic title or work or new york times bestseller but I, i like to get really personal and say okay what was it that i read that i viewed that kind of really touched me in a way and allow me to share this too, that I I try to remind people that I haven't always been here. It is a journey. It is to to be open and affirming and and reconciling that with my faith and recognizing that it wasn't necessarily a reconciling that needed to happen, but I needed to unlearn some embedded theologies that I had in my mind. So I'm always asking that question, what helped me, right? Um, So I wanted to share a few things. The first was I had to realize that I had to start, again, with what I already believed and thought, not just about sexual um, orientation or identity or attraction, but I had to start with what I thought about sex and gender. Start there. Right. So one wonderful and very accessible resource is genderbread.org. So instead of uh, uh, gingerbread, it's genderbread, G-E-N-D-E-R, bread, B-R-E-A-D.org, and there's a wonderful, wonderful graphic that I've used numerous times and uh, helped me to be clear on the differences between identity and expression and um, sexual uh, expression, sexual orientation, um, and just get the language right, because language we know is so, so important, and it's a wonderful little graphic with a little gingerbread person, (laughs) Um, and talks about those differences and just to get it clear in your head, because, again, so many people have so many arguments about this or for that and whatever, and don't have it clear in their mind what they're saying. So I encourage anyone to just make sure to start there. You know, if you're really trying to understand, start there and get an understanding of what you're saying, what words mean. Um, I love um. Crystal from uh, the Read Podcast always says, words mean things.
0: I love words, her too.
1: Words means they, And every time I'm nodding along, like she can see me, like, yes, they do. Now. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so uh, were you familiar with gender brand? With the
0: gender brand? I person? think um, one of the partners we do, Identiversity, I think they use it. That's the figure where they have, like, the brain circled and the heart circled. Yep. and uh, like, Yeah. I feel like they used that from that. Yeah. Right.
1: Yes. Yes. It is so. It's 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 cute, <laughs> but it is very. It's simple. Again, it's so accessible to just. It's something I can use with uh, children. Um, you know, because we need to start younger. We can't wait till children hit puberty or a certain age to think that they need to understand themselves and others. So you can use it with children. You can use it uh, with persons our own age. You can use it with people who have been in church for years. Someone who's not church affiliated. Um, you can use it with the senior citizen who you know may think that. This is all new, new language. And I don't know. And it doesn't make sense. You, can, It's so accessible. And I just encourage anyone just to Google gender bread mm-hmm. and look at that image. And it's, it's just a wonderful resource. So that helped me start, again, those conversations and understanding the language around sex, sexuality, gender attraction. Um, I also uh, found um, a classic classic resource that I came upon (laughs) many years after it was written, but still, bless me, was um, Dr. Keller Brown Douglas's, uh, one of her most popular works, Sexuality and the Black Church, right? As someone who was raised, reared, uh, uh, and and still participate heavily in the Black Church, this book was phenomenal. Um, And I appreciate, especially, I want to say it's part one where Dr. uh, Kelly Brown Douglas does this, um, I guess you can call it this kind of quick historical overview of the idea of sexuality in the Black church and really harks upon the silence, right? Like how we don't talk about these things in the Black church. Again, I feel like this work is as is, is brilliant as Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas is. It's still accessible, uh, it's not heavy, you know, theological language. I don't feel uh, she explains it very well, very thoroughly, um, in a way that anyone is any familiarity with the Black Church. I think will read and be like me and kind of just nod every sentence. Yes. You're like, yep, yep, yeah. <laughs> and it's just hitting. And again, for me, even though this is not a necessarily a queer commentary or the newest work out there, but I thought it just gave a very clear and eye-opening view for me over so much that I did not know and we have to acknowledge those things so hopefully the way it helped me hopefully that would um, help someone else just to understand the things that we don't even talk about in religious spaces we can't jump to you know um, being inclusive and uh, fighting and combating um, oppression and discrimination if we don't even know what we're you know the terms what we're talking about how the history has impacted our people Right, we have wow. to start there. So I'm sure, um, because it was what 1999. So <laughs> you, can,
0: you can find a copy though on Kindle. I have mine up. Mine is on my Kindle, so it's uh, it's accessible. Go yep. ahead and buy that for yourself.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent work. And Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas has other works, but I feel like that is a like I said, I, I call that one the classic. That's the classic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, a resource. Um, the last one I'll share for this kind of first part that I said that really kind of jump started me to help me clear up these things that I needed to get before I can even start working towards liberation to just make sure I was educated um, was the book um, Good Christian Sex by uh, Bromley McClanagan. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Now, that was a nice controversial book when it came out just a few years ago, too, because I mean, just look at the title. Good Christian Sex, yes. right? <laughs> another um, very accessible book. I felt like, um, I believe at the time, um, Bromley McClanahan was just finishing up seminary. Um, But what I loved about that book is that it helped me understand and examine purity culture, that shame and the guilt that we tie to sex in the church space. Um, And also uh, she addresses the silence too, the things that we don't talk about around sex. And Um, After another reading, so I read it when it kind of first came out and I read it again once I was uh, what I would consider a better place, (laughs) learned a little bit more. Um, I really latched on to what I um, kept in my heart as like my personal ethic around sex. So again, taking we're not even talking about the diversity, the wonderful, beautiful diversity of of sexualities, but just the idea of sex in the church. Mm -hmm. um, It helped me latch on to this ethic idea that even in the realm of sexual activity, we must be good neighbors to one another. Mm -hmm. And so that has become a big part of my sexual ethics. So it's not just about what you do and don't do. You know, it's really this helps me address so many of the questions around sex is are you being a good neighbor in your sexual life? Are you being a good neighbor? Right. So are you being a good neighbor if you are concerned with two or more consenting adults are doing in the bedroom, right? If you make that your focus when you really need to question those who are not being good neighbors who are harming those who have not consented to mm. sexual activity, right? Are you being a good neighbor to engage in sexual activity with someone who you know has deeper feelings for you than what you may have for them,
0: mm.
1: right? <laughs> are you being a, a good neighbor? So it, it just really, it works for me yeah. <laughs> to ask that question. Are you being a good nature? Were you familiar? It looked like you were writing that one down. I was that.
0: writing it down. I have not, I have not heard of that, but what, what, when you were talking, I was thinking about sexuality mm-hmm. in general and how I've been working to help others expand what they think we mean by that word. Yeah. So yep. when you're saying sexuality, like take taking out the diversity, but just dealing with human sexuality as, it's as a thing itself, right? Um, I, I feel that we don't have those discussions about how sexuality is connected to creativity and the things we can be a sexual being without another person. And so we don't have those conversations either in church or in general, a lot of times. And so then we jump straight to what two or three or more people are doing in their private time. But we haven't dealt with our own sexuality by ourselves, right? Who is Mia as a sexual being by herself, not Mm -hmm. connected to somebody else?
1: Right. And not explicitly connected to your activities. Yeah. Right. What does it mean to be uh, created in the image of God? God didn't, you know, set sexual uh, identity or anything aside. And then it's something we pick up at age, what, 14 or 15. It's part of who we are. And the more we address and deal with self, then we can be, again, to my personal ethic, we can begin to be better neighbors to others. Right. Because unfortunately, that's what led so much to the um, purity culture right that shame and the guilt that's associated with sex how silly is it to think about um you know that there's no you know you're not to quote quote you're not supposed to have sex until a certain age or point in your life and then as soon as you get quote married you're supposed to know everything now it just it doesn't fall out the sky it does not (laughs) (laughs) The, the instruction manual does not fall out the sky right yeah. So, again, are you being a good neighbor if you're so focused on your own pleasure and sexuality and ignoring someone that you've dedicated, you know, supposedly your life to, to be your partner with? Are you being a good neighbor if you're not focused on their pleasure and affirming their sexuality as well? Yeah. And, yes. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm gonna have to go get that one. Good Christian <laughs> sex sounds interesting. Something I want to read. Yes.
1: So. <laughs> You'll know it's good because you can read the um, Amazon reviews from people who didn't even read the book. Okay. And your first thing is, oh, my gosh, you can't have those three words in one
0: sentence. Good Christian and sex. It can't. No such thing. <laughs> I mean, oh, my God. I I don't want to be Christian. And if I can't have that in the same sentence. OK.
1: <laughs> what? I always I have to fight that kind of urge as I kind of see those little reviews. And I, I want to write down. You need to read this, then This is for yes. you. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is for you. So uh, I'd love to have some further discussion once you get a chance to uh, to read it again. It just. Is again just an accessible book. Uh, she shares a lot of her like kind of personal stories um, and experiences and her own evolution, in a sense. And I think that is leads me kind of to my next part about what what helps me, what challenges me um, as we work towards queer, liber, uh, queer liberation in ministry. Um, just hearing stories and reading stories and sharing with one another, um, humanizing it in a sense. There's one level of the academic, right? the the books, the theories, the ideas, the theologies, right. To think about. And those are good, but we have to remember to bring that down sometimes too. Like um, as you've kind of mentioned earlier, we're talking about people's lives here, Mm -hmm. actual people's lives, not some ethereal idea that's out there. We're talking about the everyday person, people we work with, people we ride the bus next to people in our own households in our families ourselves. Mm -hmm. So you know, sharing these stories and talking to people is another great way. It's not necessarily a resource to share, but it's just a reminder of this is another great way to get information and to move towards that liberation is to remember that this is about people and not just strangers, but people that ourselves in our own lives.
0: Yeah, yes, indeed, indeed. Mm -hmm. So are there, so when you're talking about queer liberation in ministry, is there something specific to, you know, affirming ministry or affirming culture that you feel like it's necessary for both people who identify and others to be reading or watching, learning Mm -hmm. from?
1: Sure. Yeah. I'll share one, um, another book that's more uh, recent um, is by Reverend uh, Mihi Kim Court, Outside the Lines, How Embracing Queerness Will Transform Your Faith. Mm -hmm. I think that's an accessible work that um from someone who's a scholar uh, but again it's very accessible but i think it's much needed for both persons who may identify as queer trying to reconcile some things in their mind but also from someone who may not identify as queer just trying to get a better understanding um so again i'm not too big on pushing a lot of theological heavy books we can we can find the academic stuff but what i love that reverend um, kim court does um again is share some stories but ties it with scripture, ties those theological concepts in, in a way that's easy to understand with some really concrete examples. And to your point, it's very necessary because similar to so many other isms, uh, sexism, uh, racism, you don't have to identify as a certain person to, to experience that. Right. So you can be very much queer and still internalize a lot lot of homophobia, transphobia, right? A lot of anti-queerness within oneself. And that's probably one of the most heartbreaking things is for someone to try to reconcile within themselves, like this is my identity. But then they're also saying, but that means God doesn't love me. Mm. That means I'm not in the image of God. That means something's wrong with me, right? So I think this is a really great book, Outside the Lines. Um, To speak to anyone um, And and no matter where they are in their journey To see yourselves as sacred As beautiful As whole As a child of God Fashioned in the image of God Um, So that's another resource That I really um, appreciate For anyone Where they may be in their journey Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, yeah And I think it's important For those of us Who don't identify To be reading this stuff Because we cannot fully be in community and be family and be supportive if we're just sort of like going with the flow without deeper interrogation to ground us. Um, You know, one of the things that I always have been critical of, of, of liberals and progressive Christians is that we have very weak foundations. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, some of our counterparts, some of the more conservative people, they're going to rattle off the Bible verses like this. They're going to they're going to have a million different resources telling you why X, Y and Z is wrong and you're going to hell. And then we show up and we're like, you know, we just love Jesus said love, which is important. Yes. (laughs) But we need to have resources to ground us to be able to, there may be a kid out there who's saying, well, I just, I'm struggling right now. Is there something I can read besides Jesus is love? Right? Right. Is there something concrete, something I can go to to help me wrestle with this? And so I think it's important for all of us to be reading this material, not just somebody who identifies as queer or lesbian or gay, transgender, the myriad of identities, but to be able to engage because all of this is connected. It's all connected.
1: Mm hmm. Exactly. So I also think um, and I think uh, Reverend Kim Court does this some in the book, too, to talk about um, what are I love that this is a question to ask is, what are you missing out by not seeing the queerness of God? What are you missing out on? What, what, how are you limiting God when you don't open up God to include queer identities? Right. The same way uh, someone might ask, you know, what are, what are you missing out on when you only identify God as male right? What are you missing out on when you don't see uh, what we would call the female forms or the female identities of God? So the same question can be asked about queerness. What are we missing out on? So again, yes, I agree. It is so important that all of us um, open ourselves up to just explore the possibilities, right? Exhaust those possibilities. (laughs) (laughs) I heard heard a good preacher friend preach about that recently. um, Yes. With that being said, I want to share one more uh, resource, and this one is not a book, but the general thing I want to share is I think it's so important to hear diversity in the preaching or teaching that we listen to as well. So, making sure we identify some queer liberation uh, theologians, preachers, scholars, hearing their voices. So many, I mean, uh, we live in a wonderful age, of course, where we can just access anything at the drop of a hat um, from, from YouTube to so many other video sources, the podcast. Um, but it's so important that we specifically lean in to hearing the marginalized voices. And that means to hearing the voices of those who are queer identified and how they interpret the gospel and scripture and their commentaries on these things. That doesn't mean that every sermon they preach is going to be, you know, this is the LGBTQIA plus sermon, <laughs> but hearing that diversity and how different ways to approach the scripture and the text. So I'm reminded specifically of, and the video is still accessible on Facebook, I believe um, at Wake Forest Divinity School in 2019 for Holy Week, they took a spin on the classic seven last sayings um, that many of those, particularly in the black church tradition would want to hear those seven last sayings of Jesus on, on Calvary. And they called it queering Holy Week. And everyone who participated in those um, sayings and preached and shared in their own way, of course, identified as queer in somewhere in the beautiful spectrum of queerness. And I mean, just the diversity, even amongst those seven, right? And I'm not talking about just ethnic diversity or what we would call some visual things of diversity, but just their minds and their approach and their presentation and the thought-provoking nature. It was beautiful in ways that we need to embrace and hear Because we limit ourselves when we listen to one voice, one view, one church, one preacher, we limit ourselves. Um, So that being said, another in that same vein, because that's from 2019, is right here in Charlotte is the Freedom Center for Justice, which I love Bishop Tanya Rawls. I mean, just wonderful uh, organization. And they do a conference every year called Liberating Theologies It's coming up again um, in the in September, I believe, and they try to make it accessible to anyone, any price range. And they intentionally (laughs) uh, invite speakers and guests, of course, from a diverse set of thoughts uh, around theology. So black liberation theology, queer theology, a uh, trans person, I don't know if you can just call it trans theology, uh, <laughs> but just so much diversity and the voices and the language and hearing these, I mean, it's just, it's so insightful. I love going. I've been two years in a row. I've registered to make sure I didn't miss out for this year, even though it's virtual. Um,
0: that's so- where I saw, um, Pamela Leipzig. The first time, yeah, that, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas was there last year or the year before. Yeah. Uh, Reverend Dr. Uh, Emily Towns, uh, yeah. presents. um, I was introduced to a, a um, I don't want to say just budding theologian because I don't want to disrespect them, um, but uh, someone that was newer for me, uh, was Jay Mai, who was uh finishing up seminary at Wake Forest. I did a presentation on a theology. And just uh, wrestling with the non-binary nature of God and what we were missing out on by not naming that nature in God. And it was just, I mean, again, I'm still growing. I'm still learning. And that's something that really touched me in a deep way. So all that to say, that last resource I'll share is that we have to make sure we're opening ourselves, no matter who you are, to the fullness of God by listening to the fullness of God's creation. And that means a diversity of voices.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that. The fullness of God's creation. Mm-hmm. Woo. Well, I do hope that this has been helpful for those of you who have been asking for resources and interested in resources. There's so much. And we're only naming a few of the things that Reverend Tar has read, a few things that I have read. But there is so much more and so much more to listen to. I love Reverend um, uh, Bishop Yvette Flunder. I yes hearing her preach you want to look her up online um you know there are just there's so many people out there who are doing excellent work and so please tune in to that stuff uh email me if you have questions if you want more information i'm going to try to put all these titles that tara mentioned in the podcast notes so that you can go and look things up and find them
1: so yeah very very rich conversation but yeah there's so many um voices and thought leaders that i mean um, from the highest academic scholar, you know, echelon to, again, just a first year seminary student who yes. is is thinking outside the box and, and trying to um, create this, this idea of community by listening to all voices and coming at scripture from so many different perspectives is it's a wonderful world out there of resources and information. we just gotta just do it. Find mm-hmm. something, <laughs> right. watch something, read something, listening, listen to
0: something. <laughs> That's right. Well, this has been fruitful. Y'all know where to find us. Um, We'll be back soon with some new themes and topics and some special guests that are coming our way in the fall. So stay tuned and have a great rest of your summer. Thanks, Tara. Thank you all. Everyone have a great day. Friends, that was our episode this week. As always, please email your questions and your suggestions to Rev. Mia McLean at mmcclain at myersparkbaptist.org. Until next time, take care. This is Sacred Justice.